You are listening to The Sauna Show, the podcast that explores new ways to combat modern life and reclaim your health and vitality. My name is Sebastian Miao, and I'm the CEO of Clearlight Saunas International and a passionate entrepreneur and health enthusiast. I'm sitting down with scientists, holistic health practitioners, and change makers in the wellness space to talk about all things detox, health, and happiness. Hi, everyone. Today, we have Tani McCrossens on the show, and she is the co-CEO of Superfist, uh, working together with Mason on Tonic Herbs. One topic that we focus on in this talk is the, the six pillars of health coming out of the Taoism. Uh, Johannes, you have looked a little bit into into these types of uh, philosophies as well, I believe. Ah, oh, true. You know, Tani, obviously, with a really deep understanding around the Taoism, but then also being a yoga teacher and a yoga practitioner herself, I think really, you know, really brings in a very practical, um, you know, aspect on, on what you can actually do to your health, you know, and I, I love that you guys speak about the, the mental and physical connection of healing, because, you know, if you, if you sort of have mental issues going on, well, then you also have to be physically active in order to support your mind and You know, there's, there's certain cross mechanisms, I guess, that you really dive deep into. And I love really listening to that because there's some really practical advice that allows you to start immediately to actually working on your health journey. And, you know, Tani is the perfect person to, to speak with that about for sure. And without further ado, here's Tani McCrossan on the podcast. So welcome on the show, Tani. Hi, Sebastian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks My for making pleasure. time. So how on earth did you get in <laughs> to health and all the other wonderful things that enable you to just dissect actually what's going on in wellness and in the health movement and yeah, give it a little bit of a different perspective? Ah, that's a long story and a short story. I'll probably go the abridged version. Mm -hmm. um, my mother was very into kind of herbs and what you might call like 80s, 90s health, so lentils and you know, vegetarianism and these things. And through her, I discovered yoga and started practicing around 15 and kind of discovered naturopathy around 16 and was seeing naturopaths and healers. During that time, I had a, um, an eating disorder and I also had kind of a lot of emotions that I didn't know what to do with. <laughs> and I think my body was really reflecting that. So I would have regular um, UTIs and kind of issues with my digestion when I could eat and those kinds of things. And so I always felt like I was very um, much teetering on the edge of not being very well. Oh. And I was always looking for some answers um, and I was looking anywhere I could find them. So I did try Western medicine and I was told I was depressed and put on antidepressants, which didn't resonate with me at all. Yeah. Um, I then started seeing a naturopath who told me to go for a walk every day <laughs> and get some sunshine. And, you know, it was funny, but it sounds like a stupid thing, but it was so empowering for me to sort of start to take control over myself and my health and um you know we also worked with herbs and with diets and various things and you know it was a period of time um probably into my 20s I sort of finally kicked my eating disorder and was more into yoga and um but I always continued to have digestive issues yeah. just constantly I would have bloating or I would just feel like I couldn't eat certain things or if I ate certain things I'd have diarrhea or constipation it was back and forth back and forth yeah. um and I used to start to get like sinusitis at certain times of the year like um like sneezing and kind of all this stuff and you yeah. know I kind of just kept feeling like it wasn't right I was like something's not right and I can't find the right answer and nobody's really like I'm kind of getting a little bit better every time I pay all this money to see somebody, <laughs> but I'm never really getting there. 
Um, and I've always been very curious. I've always been kind of someone who's happy to teach myself. Um, so I think those things all started to kind of happen around the same time. I realized I was probably going to have to take responsibility for it myself and try and work out what was at the root of it. And through that, I discovered that it was a lot to do with what was going on in my head and my emotions and what I was thinking and how I was relating to the world. And so I started to see a therapist and, you know, kept practicing yoga, kept doing these things. And <laughs> I could never meditate. I couldn't sit still. I was anxious. I was having these kind of little nervous breakdowns all the time because I was, you know, doing so much and always stressed. And, um, you know, I think it all kind of started to work itself out when I did my first teacher training. I realized that I was, I was very much... Uh, abusing myself <laughs> um, through the guise of health, through the lens of health. So a lot of the things I talk about are, are from self-experience, you know, like um, fad diet things that were supposed to be healthy, you know, like fasts and cleanses and, you know, always chasing this next thing that was going to finally give me the perfect health that was missing <laughs> from my life, you know. Yeah. And what I came to realize through, you know, some sucky times, <laughs> learning to meditate, <laughs> um, you know, was it oh, actually no like you really just need to like eat three times a day and like get some sleep and go in the sun every day and like breathe fresh air and don't think too much about what you're eating and you know because I was you know this constant loop in my head it never turned off this voice you know about everything I was doing you know am I exercising enough am I eating enough am I sleeping enough am I you know no 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 mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I came through all of that um, actually being taught by this really beautiful woman. I had been practicing yoga at this point for probably 10 years and she laid me down on a bed and she said, feel your body. And I said, I am feeling my body. And she said, no, you're not. You're not feeling your body. You're not inside your body. And I was like, what do you mean? Of course I'm inside my body. And she's like, no, you're up here. And she was like pointing above my head. And I was like, no, I'm not. And she said, you are. And she went down to my feet and she held my feet for a while and I started to feel myself kind of slipping inside of myself. And I'd never felt that before in my life. And I was like, holy shit, I'm like inside of myself. And I was like, this is like really uncomfortable. Like I actually hated it. Like I was oh, like, I don't yeah. like being in here, you know? And I think I was always trying to be outside of myself to be this better, more perfect, more different version of myself, you know? <laughs> I think, you know, I haven't, you know, I don't really want to psychoanalyze it. It was just, it was what it was and it is what it is, you know? But um, I kept seeing this woman weekly at first and um, I learned to do that on my own. And then, you know, over time I started to see her monthly and we did some therapy together and stuff. And anyway, all that time I was studying and reading and like exploring, I started seeing Chinese doctors and they were like this epiphany for me because it wasn't like I was broken. It was just that things were a bit out of whack and it could mm. just be brought back into alignment, oh. you know, like all very simple stuff. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of talking. It was just some needles and some herbs and things started to change and, my period came back and my acne went away and all of these things, you know. So, um, you know, long story, and I'm still keeping it short, really, but I kind of found that um, the Taoist ideas, when I looked at them through the lens of the yogic ideas that I'd learned, were very, very similar, but Taoism was a much simpler way of looking at it. Yoga is shrouded in all of this interpretation and kind of um, westernization, and, and Taoism really has been preserved in a different way. So... Um, I find it just because it wasn't trendy, you know, it didn't get taken yeah. to America, it didn't get, you know, capitalized, incorporated, and all these things. So I kind of, I use a lot of Taoist philosophy and then a lot of yogic practices. Um, and then, you know, they kind of form the basis of how I, I try and live and then where I work from and teach from and, and everything. And, and then I met Mason, my partner, trying to explore herbalism and 
plant kind of consciousness because I believe that herbs have a purpose and they're mm. here to support us and probably save us <laughs> because we need it. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that, that was really the final piece for me when I found um, reishi and heshiwu in particular, these two herbs I started taking and which I now know, you know, really support liver and blood, which were two organs of mine that were really struggling, like the blood being kind of a, an energetic frequency in the body, not just literally blood, and um, also the liver being this kind of, uh, you know, this ability for ourselves to manifest fully into this life, you know. Um, if you think about springtime and, like, plants erupting, you know, and, and meeting the sun with their leaves exposed and, like, mm. ready for the next, you know, cycle, mm. like... I was constantly suppressing myself because I was afraid of being me, you know. So I think I had this big epiphany, <laughs> kind of kept rolling. And I don't know, here we are. I'm super, like, lucky that I think all of that stuff coalesced to me meeting my partner and we got to have a baby and now we have a great business and I get to do my yoga things. And, yeah, it's all kind of, like, really nice. And in there I got to study this thing called Chine Song, which is kind of that came out of my relationship with my belly because I – had always judged my stomach, you know, I it was like, and if you think about it again, from like this Chinese perspective, we digest everything we're exposed to. So all the information we assume and consume, you know, all the people we meet, every emotion we feel, it has to be digested somewhere and it has to be digested through our body, through our organs. And I, I just don't think I'd appreciated how sensitive I was and how I wasn't able to digest stuff, you know, and I was exposing myself constantly to people I had a you know, a hospitality job when I was younger and then a yoga teaching job, you know, I was always um, working a lot. So I didn't give myself a lot of time to rest and recover. And so, you know, I was not giving myself time to digest and process. And so once I learned about my organs and how they worked and their function, I learned to touch my own body and then other people's bodies. It kind of all started to make a lot of sense to me that really the root of our health is in our abdomen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of in this place between our, our sternum and our navel uh, and our pelvic area like our pubic bone and, and, and navel is where we process all of our trauma from our families and from our lifetimes and so yeah when we start to put on padding there when we start to kind of feel that these organs are not functioning well it's probably because there's something bigger going on than just you know we're not digesting our food <laughs> um so yeah so that was kind of the, these like three real things you know it's this philosophy of of Taoism and yoga, the, the practice, the actual physical practice of meditation and asana and breathing, and then, you know, the massage, the Taoist healing practices that I've studied, um, a lot of them are sexual cultivation. We talked a little bit about that before we came on, but, you know, for women there are practices and for men. And then the herbs, and they, you know, if you look at Chinese medicine as a healing art, it says there are six things people need. They need um, community, they need food, <laughs> like good food. Um, dietary therapy is the first place you always start. Um, but their version of dietary therapy is like warm, mushy soups and like, you know, um, slow cooked things and like, you know, things you cook in a cauldron over a fire for a long time. It's mm. not like cold green juices and raw salads. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you nourish. It's like when you call uh, convalescing, when someone's ill, you don't go and feed them a salad. You know, you feed them like a soup or a broth, you know, and that's what they say. If anyone's a bit out of whack, they should be having those kinds of things, you know. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you want to look at manual therapies so you can look at massage acupuncture those kinds of things um what have i covered <laughs> missing a couple and then you're going to look at um like their psychological health as well oh, okay. you know emotions and that kind of thing how many have i got to four, four yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> community food 
Yeah, and then therapy, psychology, and then their physical kind of like oh, yes. practices, energy cultivations, the things like qigong, yeah. um, tai chi, uh, walking. Like every tradition says, you should walk every day. Mm. You know, which is so simple yeah. Yeah. and less like, oh, we go, oh no, we've got to like go to the gym. We'll do this, <laughs> or do that. It's like, well, humans are designed to walk. Like yeah. it moves our entire body, it moves our digestive system, yeah. it gets our heart beating, we breathe air. Like it's pretty much the perfect form of exercise, but we don't do it. And then number six is something like a meditation or a kind of a... a mindfulness. Yeah, sense. like yeah. a mindfulness practice of some kind where, yeah. you know, and it doesn't have to be a formal sitting practice, but um, if you look at a lot of the Zen traditions, the, certainly the work becomes a meditation. It's like you do your duty with that mindful attention. Yes. Chop wood, carry water is a very famous mm. Zen koan, and it's about, you know, showing up every day for your daily tasks with yeah. that sacredness you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and we miss that a lot in our culture nothing's sacred anymore you know it's like we're just constantly on the go and we forget to slow down and eat we forget to look at the person we're talking to you know we forget to be present with our children and so I think yeah it's this really important kind of combination of things that kind of can create health and I've, you know, I think it's super important that we define that for ourselves. We don't look to anyone else to give us a definition of what our version of health is, you know. Yeah. And I know for me, it's like if I'm waking up and feeling shit every morning, then I need to change something and it's on me to do that. It's not on, you know, I'm not going to go find it in a book or on the internet or, you or know. In <laughs> no, yeah. or in yeah. another herb, you know. Like I get that all the time. People write to us and they say, oh, I'm super tired. Like what herb can I take? And it's like, well, are you getting enough sleep? You know, are you getting enough rest? Like yeah. sleep isn't rest. And I think we miss that. It's like sleep's actually a metabolic process. Your brain and your body are going through amazing transformation in that time. You're, if you believe in the yoga and Taoist traditions, your soul is having a journey through the astral realm at that time. It's like, if you're not getting that time, you're missing out on a lot of really important kind of stuff that's meant to be, you know, metabolizing in your body emotions and thoughts as well as physically you know all the different things that um you know the liver needs to create bile clean the blood all of this kind of stuff at night time um the brain gets cleared like the immune system of the brain starts to purge everything out while we sleep and you know we look at things like alzheimer's and stuff which are rampant now and it's like that came out of this industrial time where people were just working all the time like you you know i think a lot of the people now in their kind of 60s and stuff they were the first generation to really just work like all the time you know like they had really poor work-life balance and we're continuing that I think it's getting better I hope it's getting better <laughs> but yeah so I think this is the thing sleep is great and we need it and then we also need rest we need pockets of time in our day where we aren't thinking where we aren't doing where we aren't consuming a podcast or media of some kind yeah. which is actually stimulating our brains and taking us on another journey you know it's like quiet time in nature with a cup of tea or <laughs> whatever it looks like for you but it needs to be still and you need to be not, you know, not processing anything that is stimulating to your body. So. Yeah. Wow, there was so much in there. Okay. So, no, that's awesome. I rented. No, 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 that's really awesome. And, and, and I think... <laughs> Stay close. No, no, all good. Um, the first thing I just wanted to clarify is, so when you say we digest our thoughts, do we have a concept of how that actually, you know, on a, on a physical level, like how does that actually get into our gut from a thought in a head? Mm-hmm. So if everything is vibration yes. or a frequency of some kind, mm -hmm. um, we have to imagine that if we were to think a certain thing, oh, I'll go back a little bit. In yeah. Taoism, each organ is correlated to an emotion and its job is to process that emotion or to, to be responsible for that emotion. So the liver is anger, um, the heart is joy, uh, the spleen is thinking and anxiety, worry is kind of 
a sign of that being out of balance. Um, the kidneys is fear. Yeah. And the lungs is grief or um, that ability to kind of perceive the poignancy of life, like that bittersweet kind of like everything. There's that beautiful, another Zen saying, like this um, Zen monk was holding a cup and um, his student was saying, oh, like, you know, you're attached to that cup. You know, how can you be a monk if you're attached to that cup? And he's like, it's my favorite cup. And the student was like, well, you're not really a monk. You know, and he said, well, in my mind, it's already broken. You know, and it's this idea that we can love something but also know that it's going to die, you know, that it's going to be gone one day. And so many of us are afraid of that. And so that's the, the lungs. And so when we look at these kind of organ systems as being responsible, it takes it out of this Western idea of the brain does everything. And it's this idea that the body does everything. And so each part of the body needs to work with each other to support. So what can happen is if we think all day, our spleen gets tired and then we dump a bunch of food on it, you know, and I know for you, like I was telling you, I think you have a damp spleen, you know, and it's like your job is to be analytical all day. Like it's a huge toll on your body. And then you go home and you're probably hungry because you haven't probably eaten that well during the day and whatever, and you eat a big meal and then you go to bed. And so you've basically gone, you know, all day long I'm going to make you digest something on an energetic level. Yeah. And then all day, all night long I'm going to make you digest something on a physical level and you don't get any time to rest, right? Because mm-hmm. you get up and do it all again the next day because we all do. This is life, you know. And so what is interesting is like how do we allow these different, you know, the Chinese medicine kind of energy clock is super interesting to talk about and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I can... Probably you'd even be better to have Jost on the podcast. Um, he was just on our podcast. He's amazing. Yeah, he is actually coming. Yeah, yeah. so talk to him about that. But okay. what, what I'll give you a brief overview. What he says is that, or what Chinese medicine says and yoga, it says at different times of the day, different functions are operating. Mm. And I know you've worked a lot with Roger Hamilton's work, mm. and he has a very similar thing. He's like, on Mondays, do steel work, and on Tuesday, do da da da. Mm. And it's this idea that at different times of the day, it's appropriate to do different types of activities. So mm. it says that early in the morning, we should do something kind of meditative, like, and this is early, mm-hmm. you know, like 5 a.m. ish. Yeah. And then we hit our large intestine time when we're supposed to do a poo, and that's like, Humans are supposed to wake up and do a poo in the morning. That's that's the thing. You empty it out and then you start again. And then most people don't do that. Yeah. And then, you know, a little bit later in the day, you start to hit the stomach and spleen time. That's when you're supposed to eat some breakfast, you know. And then as the day goes around, it gets more yang, more active. So the morning time into early afternoon is really good for doing activities, thinking, getting shit done kind of a thing. And you're going to do your best thinking in the morning. I mean, everybody feels that, you know, those, like, yes. I know, like for Absolutely. me, if I get into work early and I just pump it out, I do my best writing, my best thinking, it's all stomach spleen time. It's all thinking time. It's all an analytical time. And, you know, but if we keep doing that all day, that energy is having to dominate that day and all the other organs don't get their time as well. And it sort of just creates this mashup of shitty energy in the body. It's called stagnant chi or it can be you know, toxic even chi sometimes. So what happens is later in the day we're meant to enter this wisdom time when we're meant to integrate the learnings of the day. Mm. And most of us don't do that. We go mm. home and we get busy and we have kids and we go da 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 and there's no time for reflection or quiet and spirit and, you know, just kind of being in this sense of, like, you know, gratitude as well for the day. Mm. Um, sorry, I keep leaning away. <laughs> and that's where if you look at, you know, what happens with the kidneys, a lot of that's driven by fear and this idea of scarcity. If I don't do more, I'm not going to get somewhere. Or, you know, it's this kind of really um, strong energy in our culture that, like, I'm only worth something if I'm doing something, if I'm creating something, if I'm making something, if I'm putting something out there, Mm. shipping something, you know, and so we don't give power to these times that are just around, 
you know, not doing anything that are actually around us, allowing that stuff to sort of simmer in and like stew and kind of, you know, kidneys, all that water. It's this subversive underwater kind of like the subconscious. It's the stuff that kind of everything else manifests from. And if you look at it in terms of like a seasonal cycle, it's winter where everything conserves its energy, everything draws back in and it prepares for the next spring, right? And if we don't have that time, then, you know, we're just going to come to springtime still running on our last cycle and we're going to be exhausted. And so we see this all the time at Superfeast. I see it all the time at yoga. People are deficient in their kidney energy, which is effectively adrenal sort of problems, which leads to hormonal issues, which leads to all sorts of stuff. Um, It will lead to digestive issues because the kidneys provide the heat to the digestion for the digestion to start to burn through the Mm. food we consume. So it's it's kind of like this snowball effect. And so this is just coming because we haven't honoured you know, our own circadian rhythm, our own daily cycles. And there's lots of biohackers talking about this and they talk about putting on red things at the end of the day and doing this stuff. And, you know, I don't disagree with that stuff. I think it can be really helpful, especially if you do shift work or it's tough for you to kind of honour your own rhythms because of your circumstances. It happens. Like, we all have to do stuff sometimes that's out of alignment. But, you know, it's like if you're doing that at the expense of having rest time and time to really be still and to allow all your efforts to kind of just you know, be appreciated, like to express some gratitude, then it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And then ideally we go to bed around nine or 10, which again, who does that? You know, it's, it's quite rare. Like I don't know many people my age that are getting to bed that early. Um, and then, you know, we're meant to have a lot of sleep around 11 to kind of three. We're meant to be, you know, the gallbladder and liver are meant to be cleansing the blood and kind of getting us ready for the next day. And that's where a lot of people will find they get like you know, quite unwell, and it's like their liver function's not working well. It's like, well, have a look at your sleep. Are you getting really good sleep through those hours? Because a lot of the time people aren't, and that's partly why, is because they're not having enough rest during the daytime, they're doing too much, and then, you know, by that time, the liver function is just not there for them to really be able to cleanse the blood and get everything ready for the next day. So, you know, this is just one way of looking at things, obviously. But I think we don't really... You know, we don't talk about this stuff enough. We don't talk about what an actual capacity is, you know. It's like everyone's just expected to take on more and take on more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what, I mean, at school you just learn how to function and to produce and to, you know, all of that, all the the mind stuff. There's Mm -hmm. no balance between, like, actually, you know, as you said, like, what is actually the capacity. And the capacity probably changes between seasons, between age, all of that. Exactly. And that's what we don't talk about as well. Like, a woman after a child needs way more rest and time to restore she's lost blood she's lost energy you know she's gonna feel like she needs to keep up because Mm. she's kept up her whole life and Mm. it's really important that as a culture we say it's okay to rest Mm. you know and we need as a culture to support that it's the same with men you know you guys especially men with families they work very 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 hard during their younger years and then they hit an older point and everything just starts to fall apart and they get you know they don't want to stop work because it's the only thing they've known it's like we need to support our men we need to make sure that they have fairly balanced lives that they have things outside of their work that they're not just expected to be breadwinners you know Mm -hmm. and it's it's difficult I understand that this is a kind of bougie place to speak from sometimes you know I own a business and I can create my own life to some degree but I think if we don't have these conversations it's super difficult for things to change and I think with our children you know we're fortunate to live in an area where Steiner education is an option and the kids are encouraged for their first you know until they're at least eight to really just be outdoors and playing and you know in a fantasy land and they're not learning to be little cogs in a machine and I think that's important, you know? Like, I don't want my daughter sitting in a chair for, you know, eight hours a day for the first five years of her life. Like, I think that's nuts, you know? (laughs) Like, it blows my mind that we think that's okay. 
you know, and I don't want to sound like a punk and a rebel because I think I understand, you know, the culture and what we need to all do mm. to stay alive. Like, yeah. I get both sides of it. But, you know, if we don't start thinking about these things and, and even asking ourselves, you know, what can we do? Yeah you know, then it starts to, to snowball. And I think, you know, it comes back to if there are chronic health issues going on in a family, you know, it's like, well, you know, what do we really need? You know, do you need yeah. a bigger house and a better car and more clothes and more shit, you know? Probably not, you yeah. know? Can you really, like, afford to take some time out of rest so that you can take care of your health first and then, you know, look at what's what your capacity is, what can I add in? And, you know, like you said about seasonality, like when I was 20, what I could do, to now, 34, is totally different. Mm. But I managed to burn myself out, like, at least four times in my 20s, you know, because I was doing, like, six jobs and buying a house at 20 and being an idiot, you know? Mm. Like, just, ah, on my little treadmill, you know? On my hamster wheel. So yeah. I think, yeah, we, as we age, especially we get wisdom, which is one of the gifts of age. Mm. But, yeah, it's nice if younger people start to think about this yeah. stuff too, I think. <laughs> and, and I think there is a movement overall that people actually don't want to work full-time. They're actually okay to earn a little bit less or, mm. you know, just have that flexibility. And it's way more important nowadays than it ever used to be. And, you know, it's a societal thing. Like, society just shifts that way. But, like, from your... Like, if you think about it practically, like, nowadays, what can, what can you do? Like, you know, we're still at a point where... People I expect to work seven and a half hours. So, mm. that, you know, like, would is there an option to just, like, do the head heavy work in the morning? And then, you know, there are some tasks that are more yeah. shuffling paper, but, you know, like, exactly more mechanical that. or something like that. Yeah. And just dim it down and not be full on yeah. all day long. So the advice is generally, like, if you can't totally, like, live your life by the Dallas schedule. <laughs> Which, you know, to the reality of their lives, they were agrarian farmers. Like, a lot of them, the reason they had a medical system like acupuncture was they were in the fields farming all day to feed everybody because they had food issues and, you know, there, were, there was a supply issue and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So they were having back issues and, you know, there was stuff going on in their yeah. culture. They had um, water, basically water invasion, it's called, from being in the rice paddies all day. Oh. So that's... So acupuncture was used to get water out of their bodies. Herbs were used to get water out of their bodies. You know, they had different needs to us. But this idea, and these ideas come from people who did take themselves out of society and observe nature's cycles. They were just observing things. They were scientists in a sense that they weren't trying to, you know, put an expectation on something. They were just watching what happened when you took out all the external stimulus. And this is what happens. We are animals. We have a circadian rhythm. We have a... And, you know, if you look at a human in a in a more kind of traditional culture in the mornings, they're usually quite mm. active. You know, mm. I go to Bali and everyone's up before dawn, they're cleaning and they're sweeping and they're carrying on and then everyone kind of chills out around lunchtime, has yeah. a bit of a nap and then, yeah. you know, they kind of go a bit until the, the sort of, it's not that late. They're usually in bed pretty early. Like, mm. I mean, I remember staying in little villages and it's like at eight o'clock there's nobody around and yeah. everyone's in their rooms, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of really like how we're meant to live and I know we have Netflix now so (laughs) god knows (laughs) but you know I think what I try to do is like first of all we have a business so we've made it a culture that we work from 9 30 to 4 30 with a half hour break away from your desk and you one day at home a week and you have to work those hours you can't work longer we don't have overtime it doesn't exist and we don't expect it um so that's something we've done to make sure that we can set a culture standard, I suppose, in our business. Um, Personally, I'll try and do stuff that requires me to be mentally kind of cognizant (laughs) earlier in the day and then Mm -hmm. toward the end of the day. Like you said, it's the paper shuffling stuff. It's like, 
you know, I'll do challenging emails early and then less challenging ones later. Or I'll do stuff that I don't have to really kind of think about later mm. in the day. Um, if I have an accountant meeting, I have it early, you know, because mm. I know my brain's sharper then. Um, and then I don't do much in the afternoon, you know. And, I'll, yeah. and I've, re- I've really come to, like, I give myself a lot more of a break than I used to. And sometimes I feel lazy, you know. And I was talking to a friend about this this morning. Mm. She's got a growing business and, you know, she's working 70-hour weeks and she's got two kids and it's like... You know, but our kids miss her at dinner, you know? And I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, like, what's going to be more important to you in 20 years? It's yep. like that you were at dinner with your kids or you were at the office till seven mm-hmm. at night, you know? And I think, I think for me, like, I'd rather be with my daughter. Like, mm-hmm. I'd rather she saw me through her childhood than I had a very successful business. Um, and it's funny, though, like, the flip side of that is our business is growing more the less I do, which I'm still getting my head around. Yeah. But, you know, it, because I think we make ourselves important and it's this kind of almost an ego trip where we think we're indispensable to the world and then when we step back, we realise that the world doesn't need us so it just keeps on turning. And really, we can just dip in and out and contribute when it's appropriate. And, you know, I've, that's been for me a big, you know, it's certainly a big part of my makeup is work makes me valuable. I was speaking to a girl the other night. She's like, I work, you know, 12-hour days and then I go out every night drinking and then I'm studying this course so I can get a visa to stay here. And I thought, well... And she's like, I'm just exhausted all the time. What herb should I take? And I was like, oh, I'd hate to say, but I think you should like not go out every night and have a rest. You yeah. know, like you're on your fatal day as a hairdresser around yeah. chemicals. Like yeah, right. that's a big job, and your body needs time to process that. So, you know, I think we can all just remember that, you know, what we what we think is really going on is often our own mind's perception. You know, like, I couldn't possibly have a day at home. It's yes. like, well, you're just saying that because you're limited by your beliefs. Yes. You know, you haven't actually asked your boss. Yeah. If you've asked your boss and he said no, then we're having a different conversation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but if you haven't asked, if you haven't inquired, if you haven't spent some time thinking, well, what would really help me best manage my health right now? Mm. Um, I have another friend who's an Ayurvedic doctor and she worked with a lot of lawyers because she was in, I think, Boston or somewhere where yeah. there's a you know big law community mm. and... And they kind of word got around that she was really good. And these are women that work, you know, easily 70, 80 hour weeks, you know, crazy and high stress and Mm. high pay, Mm. you know, and it's hard to walk away from that. It's hard to walk away from the prestige and from being, you know, someone in a a community. And yeah, and a lot of them found that after a few years of seeing her, that that was what was required, that they had to sort of take a bit of a step back. They worked three days a week and they had a Part, like a community, um, a house in a community that was out of town where they could be a bit more in nature and, you know, that was what they had to do. And I think we're all afraid to do less. <laughs> we're all afraid to have less because we're in this culture of keeping up with the Joneses and mm-hmm. social media and, you know, oh, well, Bob has, you know, a new car and I need a new car or whatever it is. I think yeah. it's on a micro and a macro level. So I think on a really practical level, it takes the first us to just ask ourselves what we need and then... You know, I think we can support ourselves with diet. Like the Chinese way is dietary therapy first, which means easy to digest foods, which means mm. foods that are generally cooked and warm and, you know, like a hug, like soups, nourishing broths, um, well-cooked vegetables, well-cooked meats, like slow-cooked. Um, if you're going to eat grains, well-cooked grains, soaked grains, prepared, you know, in a more traditional manner. Um, I think those kinds of things are super nourishing for us. Uh, 
I think then, you know, making sure we're well hydrated is obviously essential. You know, you can definitely use herbs and we use herbs tonically. So that means we take them with the intention of preserving our health and longevity as opposed to fixing something that's wrong. So I don't ever think about my body being broken. I think about what needs the support most right now. So I have a three-year-old and sometimes she's home from school. Like we had a bushfire in town this week and I had to be on, on a Tuesday where she's normally at daycare. I had to be home with her. And, you know, I could have been really stressed out about that. I could have been going, oh, my God, I have all this stuff to do and I had these appointments and I can't get anything done. But instead, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm just going to be here with my child today. And I know it's going to be a big week, so I'm going to make sure I'm taking some adrenal herbs and some herbs that are supporting me because I'm going to have to do a couple of extra longer days, you know, to make up for today. And that's just what happens, you know. And so I just make sure that I'm nourishing myself as opposed to trying to put a Band-Aid on some symptom or fix something. And it's a lot around prevention, like catching ourselves before we fall down you know catching ourselves before we get so exhausted that we're cranky at our partners or you know can't go to work or you know because that's what I see a lot people kind of wait till they've got chronic fatigue or wait till they've got some kind of really terrible tumor or something and it's like well you know we need to catch that stuff earlier yeah 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 so yeah I think what I hear from you is that definitely um the lifestyle and the way we we live is, is number one it's really sort of the foundation of you know the ground that we treating on and if if, mm. if we design it in a way that is actually really uneven and really difficult sooner or later we will get bodily problems and they're great tips that you just are pointing out so let's say someone has chronic fatigue now you know yeah. and they actually have problems there and, and you know one of the first things probably is that would be suggested is take it easy you know sleep. actually stay back, sleep right <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly I've, I've heard that before someone said like you just have to sleep for three days straight and it might actually be well I've heard three months but yeah <laughs> oh, okay. I've worked with some doctors and that, like um, Chinese doctors and they say their best prescription for chronic fatigue is that that person stays in bed and sleeps as much as they can until it's healed basically. Yeah, yeah. you know I think that the reality of that, of course, yeah. is challenging, and I know that. Um, I Look, I, I'm definitely not against herbs, supplements, all those things. I think it's super mm. important. I think when we're looking at something chronic, though, it's a multidimensional problem. Mm. It has to be treated on a multidimensional level. Yeah. So if you just go and take some supplements, it's not going to work because you haven't addressed why you've let yourself get chronic fatigue. Yeah. And at the end of the day, without sounding mean, it is the individual's responsibility that they have this thing. And then you also need to look at it kind of on a, on a spiritual level, like, you know, what is this trying to teach you? Like, what's the lesson here, yeah. you know? And I could not profess to answer that because that's someone's personal journey, yeah. but I think all of these things teach us something. And I know for me, like, you know, it, all, I'm grateful for all of the really yucky stuff I had to go through because mm. I don't think I'd be me if it wasn't for that. And, you know, I just have a goal of being a really cool old lady. And so I just, all of these little things that I jump over and the hurdles and the problems are like, they're part of my tapestry, you know, they're going to, turn me hopefully into a cool old lady maybe a cranky old lady <laughs> we'll see <laughs> but you know I just that's that's my they're my story they're, they're what weave me you yeah. know and I think we don't when we go see a doctor or a naturopath even a lot of the time they go oh here's a pile of herbs and here's some supplements and they don't really have that bedside manner and that ability to talk and to really listen and to you know to go right what's really going on like one of the things I was taught was to listen you know and in Chinese medicine, you're supposed to ask 10,000 questions and you're supposed to listen to the answers, you know, because the person will tell you what's wrong with them. And at the end of the day, if I sit here for half an hour, an hour with you and, and just ask questions and listen, you're going to tell me the root cause of everything that's going on. And it's not going to be, I'm not having enough vitamin C or whatever. It's going to be like, do you know what? I 
really worried about, you know, like chronic fatigue is often, you know, a pretty big emotional component and it's often, you know, again, I don't want, I'm painting broad strokes, but, you know, it's often to do with self-worth and, you know, kind of feeling like everything's on that person's shoulders and, you know, that's their only way out is to have chronic fatigue. Okay. It's so, like a, it's right. like I can't escape from my life in any other way but to yeah. get very, very sick. Right. You know? So that's a tendency you see when, when people... It's a pattern. Yeah, it's yeah. a pattern. And I, again, I don't want to paint Fair enough. Strokes, but, yeah. yeah. But so overall, like, what would these people do? Like, let's say, you know, there's a, there's a high tendency so or, or high possibility that these people actually have that. But unconsciously... They might only know that consciously and actually mm. not consciously. So how would they actually go about it without going on a 10-year, you know, finding <laughs> my soul and figuring yeah. that out? Is it, I guess there's also feedback from certain plants that you can actually take that, that would draw it yeah. out. Because, because when, when I listen to you, what you often say is like, what is stored in that organ? Which means you can go vice versa. You can either go, not psychotherapy, but, you know, going through the mind back in there and digging it out or actually supporting the organ so much then it starts to what you've been calling digesting yep. it so and you then don't it comes need out to well. process it mentally necessarily you know uh, like okay. if you took kidney herbs yep. for example the fear will be worked on on an energetic level um so imagine that chronic fatigue is because this person doesn't know any other way out so they're afraid that if they keep going they can't mm -hmm. so they're going to have to collapse to get the rest they need yes. let's say that's the yes, pattern sure. so it's a coming from a fear thing so it might manifest as an adrenal kind of like thing and you know it usually also has other organs involved but let's just stick to kidneys to keep it really clear so we might then take a bunch of kidney herbs so what they're going to do is they're going to restore some of that kidney energy which is going to multiply on a multi-dimensional level into the energy and spiritual bodies mm. because we can't separate them it's like There's a, the great analogy of like water. As a solid, it's water. And then you start to heat it up and change its vibration, it becomes gas. And if you cool it down and slow down its vibration, it becomes ice, right? So we're kind of like ice. We're like slowed down vibration. Mm. So when you mm. work on the physical, you're working on the slowest to change vibration. So it's going to take longer. Because mm. you've heard of spontaneous healing, right? You've heard mm. of people that have an epiphany and they're healed. Bum. That's because they accessed the gas level. Mm. They were at like the, the spirit level. Yeah. For whatever reason, the stars aligned and mm. bang, 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 bang. They were able to trans... And that's the quickest. It's obviously the hardest, Great. but it's the quickest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But when we're talking about on the ice level, <laughs> on the hard, physical, gross level, it takes a long time to change. So what herbs do is they can come in and work on the middle level, on the energy level, which will trickle down to the physical and they will trickle up to the spiritual um, and some herbs are special and they can play in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Mm. Reishi is a great example. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's, they're kind of operating on this multidimensional level yeah. for sure. And that's why plants with intelligence are important as opposed to like mass produce, like farm grown kind of. So we work at Superfeast with herbs that are grown D-Dao, which means they're from their spiritual homeland, which means they have the essence of their kind of natural environment. We've been talking a lot about nature and how important it is for something to stay within its natural you know, elements and its natural rhythms. And mm. so that's why we source the way we do, because we believe when we ingest that, we get some of that power. Mm. Um, it's why dietary therapy is important if you're eating, you know, low vibration, slow vibration, dead foods, which are things like, you know, sadly, frozen pizzas and <laughs> all these kinds of things you know, then you're getting that kind of energy in the body. So it's hard to raise a vibration with that. 
And when you look at things like plants, you know, that's why veganism and these things have become so popular because in the short term, people feel incredible because suddenly they're taking in a lot of energy, a lot of chi, mm. um, and they're bringing in a lot of vitamins and all the other things that come along with that for sure. But it's a short term, it's like a drug, you know, it's like a short term high and then you kind of long term, it doesn't work, which um, I think a lot of people don't realize about, you know, these kind of cold plant-based diets is they only work for a short period of time. They're really good for, you know, if you need to kind of shift weight or like, again, it depends on the type of weight. Sure. So, but yeah, they can be really helpful as a cleanse is a, is a simple way of thinking about it. But in terms of a long-term lifestyle, it tends not to be useful because of the things we talked about with the digestion. If you imagine your digestion is a cauldron and you keep throwing cold things in and all plant foods, basically energetically cold, you know, mm. except for things like potatoes and stuff. You're putting in like salads and fruits and you know mangoes and you see all these people that they they seem great for a few years and then things start to deteriorate and it depends generally on how strong their core essence is their jing is Mm -hmm. so someone with a lot of jing can kind of kick on with that for quite a long time someone who's quite weak constitutionally tends to burn out fast so you'll see and i've seen that a lot in social media lately where there's been i can think of at least three or four quite high profile vegans that have come out that they're not vegan anymore because their health's suffering and you know, they've been vegan for like five to ten years. And so the first bit, it was all sunshine and rainbows and I feel amazing. And then the next bit is all like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I've got all this weird shit going on. And again, from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's just extreme. They've gone from one extreme to another extreme. They've gone from a crappy diet to a crazy, like, cleansing diet. And the middle ground is like what we were talking about, slow-cooked vegetables. And humans evolved with cooking. Like, that's why we have brains like that we have, you know, that's why we're not monkeys. <laughs> like, this whole process kind of came about... <laughs> Through us harnessing fire, there's some great books on this, and it's a super interesting thing to think about. And Chinese medicine really emphasizes this. It's like fire is so important to our digestion and to, you know, Ayurveda says it as well, agni, this digestive fire, this heat. And so our metabolism, our heat comes from that. If you imagine your digestion is a like a cauldron, like a pot, boiling away happily, and that the boiling, the, the flame of the fuel has to come from somewhere. So it has to come from your spleen yang, the heat of your spleen, which has to come from somewhere, which comes from your kidneys, yeah. right? So kidney yang is the source of all heat in the body, source of all yang. And all of our metabolism is fired by the kidneys effectively. And so what you'll see all the time, and, you know, I'm not trying to shit on vegans. I totally respect the animal rights part of it. And I, I think that's a really complex conversation for sure. But just in terms of a health perspective it's like you're basically constantly throwing you know cold things imagine if you just keep dropping frozen peas into a boiling stew the temperature goes down the temperature goes down you know we've all pulled you know raw pasta into a boiling pot and the boiling stops right so anything we pour in there the body has to bring it up that cup to boiling temperature and then process it and that's where all of that um metabolic you know transformation alchemy occurs alchemy occurs in fire you know and digestion is alchemy like how do we take you know a cooked potato and turn it into body mass or into blood mm. or into hormones like that's a that's a mind fuck like I, I can't get my head around that and it's <laughs> alchemy it's it's pure alchemy like there's this amazing thing going on inside of the body where you know we put food in and it comes out as as us you know mm. and this is this idea of we are what we eat literally and we are what we digest so if we're constantly drawing on our kidney fire we're constantly drawing on it because we're constantly pouring cold things in what tends to happen is that gets exhausted and so then we'll get cold all over our bodies which is a really common thing with vegans we'll start to get kind of almost malnourished because our digestion is not functioning very well they might grow like fuzz all over their bodies they'll start to look exhausted their bones will start to get really weak their teeth will start to get really weak all of those things come from the kidneys 
So what this is a really good example of how one thing happening at one organ system will affect something at another organ system. So the, the stomach is responsible for muscle mass. So a lot of vegans waste away. They can't put on muscle mass, right? And mm. I mean, I, we live in Mullum, like I see this all the time, where they're very scrawny and they can't put on any muscle mass, but they often have big tummies. Like, and they're not fat tummies, they're like bloated kind of tummies. And then because their kidney yang is weak, they often will find that they have bone and teeth issues. So, you know, and we've had lots of friends go through this kind of stuff. And you can, you can start to repair it, but it takes a lot. Like, by the time you're at that point, it's, it's bad. Like, this is where you'd want to start getting into, you know, broths and collagen and, you know, deer antlers, one we would use a lot at this point, which is unfortunately an animal product for vegans. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you've gone so far in one direction, it's, it's now going to take something strong to bring you back. Mm. Just, just a conundrum that I have there. You, you talk about cold foods, but your category of cold food is not that it's not cooked and hot when you eat it. There, there, Correct, it's energetic. Else. So um, if you looked into Chinese dietary therapy, which I can give you guys a link or two to put on the blog, yeah. but um, Chinese dietary therapy classifies foods as having, and not just in China, Ayurveda does this as well, as having different temperatures in terms of their, it's kind of like their digestive temperature like what they do inside of the body mm. so you're having a lot of mung beans on an ayurvedic diet mm. they're a cooling kind of a thing um and they're i mean they're a little bit more neutral really but mm. they're yeah they're a little bit more on the cooler side yeah. um but they're very good at drawing damp and water out of the body and you're saying you felt like you've lost some water mm. and so it makes sense if you're having a lot of mung beans that that's what they're doing so it's imagining that we're using food as medicine now instead of as something just to satiate our cravings mm. and so we look at this from this kind of broader perspective of like basically fruits and vegetables in general this is all generalizing of course if you study the nuance of this it's, it's complicated and, and beautiful but mm. for, as a generalization for a podcast yeah. generally fruits and veggies especially raw fruits and veggies are cold in nature so they're going to cool down your cauldron so it's going to when you add those things in yeah. it's just going to like it's like putting wet leaves on a fire it just goes right, out, yes. you know, okay. and so it creates smoke and heat, which rises typically. So, you know, sometimes people will have things like acne or they'll have, um, you know, things like, um, you know, whether things are manifesting around their head. So like yeah. ear stuff, scalp mm. stuff, eye stuff, you know, this is all the mouth, you know, this That's is all coming clever. from, yeah, from heat rising and being trapped in the upper burner is what it would be called in Chinese medicine. Yeah. But it's because you've created like a steam kind of hot situation over here. It's like it's it's more like um, compost than mm -hmm. it is like mm -hmm. digestion. Yeah, yeah, like a, a bad compost, like a stinky compost. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Because if you think of your body as composting, it's like a little bit of dry stuff is required oh, yeah, to make to compost. Get that heat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. You've got to yeah. put in some like you know we're talking about potatoes. You know, you got to put in some stuff that can kind of act as a bit of a buffer to all that like rotting material, yeah. which is what fruit and veg is. So you know, it's it's kind of it's helpful. The compost analogy is a good one, I think. You know, it's like have a little bit of everything. You know, and yeah. And don't just focus on one specific type of food. Yeah, a good bio, uh, biodynamic compost, actually, in the morning, you can see it's steaming because it's well, it's well built, and so it has all the elements in it, and it creates quite a bit of heat. I mean, they, yeah. they won't burn, but, you know, like, it's, it's warm. Yeah, if you put your hand in there, it would be yeah, toasty. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, and, and you have to go... You have to go out of the vegan category to, to get there. Like are there, most of the hot ones or the, the hot foods would be in the sort of dairy. I think a cooked vegan diet is going to be better than a raw vegan diet. Mm -hmm. Again, short term, you might feel fine. Longer term, mm -hmm. I think cooked is more sustainable. And again, talking to a lot of vegans, 
over my last sort of five or six years being front-facing with our business, I've mm. definitely heard that a lot of times, that they did okay on raw for a bit, but then they started eating cooked and they felt better. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible to do well if you're very, very, very careful. And I'd probably recommend working with someone who can guide you and create, you know, because you need to know your constitution. And I probably should have said this earlier, but the thing about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and a lot of the original healing traditions is they respect each person's individuality mm. and that what works for one person won't work for someone else. And unfortunately, in our kind of modern time, that's not how we think about things. We think about there's one pill for this ill, you know, and it doesn't matter about the person taking it. It's just that it, this pill <coughs> fixes this disease, you know. And so that's how Western medicine and biomedicine is built. And it, that's a really challenging mindset to slip out of and instead come at it from, well, what's best for my body at this point in time, on this day, in this season, da 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 da, da. For example, you know, I don't drink beer in winter. I will drink beer in summer. I actually can digest it in summer, but if I have it in winter, it makes me cold and it's kind of, you know, just doesn't work. So, you know, and that's cold Australian beer, not warm, weird English beer. <laughs> but, you know, I think, like, that's, a, that's just a really silly example of, of my personal limits. I never eat salad, ever, <laughs> until it's, like, 100 degrees outside. And even then, I will not eat a lot of it. You know, I'll eat, like, a handful of it. It just, my body does not digest it well. Um, maybe as my spleen gets stronger after years of being vegetarian and, you know, living on juices and all these terrible things I did to myself um, and, you know, eating disorders and all these things that create problems in the spleen, maybe after a period of time I'll be able to handle salads better. But for me right now, not so great. But for someone with a really hot constitution like my partner, he's better at salads than me. Like yeah. he can handle them much better than I can. For him, a raw diet was less of an issue than it was for me. For me, I felt cold all the time. You know, I felt kind of sickly. I never had enough energy. I kind of, yeah, needed a lot of external heat sources to keep me going. I, like, lived in my sauna, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it was because my body doesn't handle that kind of thing. I have a colder constitution than he does. So if we look at things from this bio-individual perspective, then it becomes more about, you know, how do I best kind of know myself and then what, resources do I choose to access or support mm. do I choose to get to, to best nourish me? Um, food, I think, you know, as close to nature as possible and prepared as minimally as possible with some kind of warming up is usually a good idea. Um, <laughs> you know, we do slow cooker things a lot because it's convenient with a busy family life. Um, porridges in the morning, either rice or oats. We do, you know, stews at night. We'll sometimes have pasta. You know, we just kind of eat whatever we feel like, but we don't eat crap. We rarely eat processed food. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if you can, there's the whole Michael Pollan thing, eat food, not too much, mostly plants, cooked, <laughs> would be my addition. And <laughs> also, like, what your grandma recognised as food, you know. If it would have been on your grandma's table, it's a pretty good chance it's good for you to eat, you know. Like, they weren't eating Twinkies or, you know, whatever else American people eat these days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know what these strange versions are, Kit Kats. I don't know. But, you know, they were generally eating, you know, kind of meats, veggies, some probably fruit, maybe a bit of bread and dairy. Like, those things are pretty safe. Like, we've mm -hmm. bastardised all these foods. But that's what humans have lived on forever, you know? It's just industrialization that's really created the problem. If you want to have a look at that, Michael Pollan's book, Cooked, which is all about the industrialization of wheat <coughs> and, and other things, meat and all these other things, you know, it's just, like, what they put into, like, a tip-top loaf is just out of control. 
you know, and people just buy that and feed it to their kids thinking they're feeding them a healthy food because mm. bread, you know, staff of life, all this kind of stuff, like give them bread and wine and fish, like that's Jesus. You know, it's become poison. So, you know, we need to go back to our roots. Real bread, real food, real pasta, etc. Uh, I can't read your writing outside Man- down there. Oh, that's manual ah, therapy. Manual therapy. Yeah, look, I, I believe touch is super important. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to have massage, but, you know, if you look at any of the healing traditions, again, they usually have a, a touch-based component, so there's usually massage or acupuncture or some kind of human-to-human kind of connection where another person is touching and nourishing you in a non-sexual way and I think that's very important because from when we're babies like being touched like if you ever look up the science of being held by babies like it's just incredible it it regulates their bodies it regulates their biorhythms it it teaches them how to respond in different situations it teaches them you know all this amazing stuff how to self-regulate their hormones and everything so um you know as adults we can benefit from the same kind of um it's it's kind of like you know exchange frequencies you know like if you go to a a good healer who takes care of themselves and they put their hands on you and they take care of you you'll benefit from that so that's where a lot of that wisdom comes from you can do it with your partner you can do it with your children you know i try and massage my daughter when she lets me (laughs) um you know i just think it's important to to remember and you can do self-massage ayurveda talks about abayanga where you stroke oil into all of your body um, and allow that to sit for a little while and it kind of just helps to like lubricate the body and the joints and um, it's an act of self-care and self-love you know we've made self-care all these you know bubble baths and going to the spa and whatever but it's like you know touch your body and like love it like respect it you know look at its scars and its stretch marks and its wounds and its fat bits and its skinny bits and you know like honor it as this vessel that you're experiencing life through you know we kind of miss that so that idea of this touch is super important um that's really nice, by the way. I'm, I, I have um, I have sort of like a board in mind, probably a spaceship. And, and when I look at, you know, I'm a bit, a bit into sci-fi and that type of thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the veteran ships often have those scratches and they look like they have, they have a tor- story to tell. battles, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you look at your body that way, that, that's a great way of looking at it and just honoring it for what it has come through rather than, oh, you're not shiny and new anymore, you know, but actually, you know, it does tell, um, tell a story. Yeah, and it's funny because I recently, just this morning, my mum sent me a picture of myself at, I think I must have been maybe 19 or 20. And I mean, I'm on paper, I look really pretty and I've got like my long hair and my baby face and, you know, I look like this. But I can see in my eyes I look sad, you know, like, and, I, and that was really at the peak of my eating disorder and me kind of going through a lot of stuff emotionally. And and I, you know, I, I, on, you know I'm, I was modelling, I had all this kind of stuff going on externally that people were validating my appearance, but in, inside I felt like shit, mm. you know. And now when I'm probably, you know, a little bit more lined and had a baby and, you know, things have changed, I fucking rate my body so much more now than mm-hmm. I did then. And, like, you know, there's always that saying that, you know, youth is not appreciated by the youthful, you know. But I just, yeah, I really feel like the, the, the learning that I've experienced through this body and what it's taught me and what it's giving me to share with others has been so much more profound than what I could have got from, you know, a picture-perfect model body that I maybe thought I needed to have at some point at, yeah. at that age, you know. And having my daughter and having a child that's a girl, you know, and thinking about her growing up and having that same relationship with her body just terrifies me. I think we have to lead from this place of, like, lead from example with our children where they see us embodied and they see us, like, appreciating and respecting our bodies and, and what we put into them and what we do with them, you know, and I, I understand, again, it's a complex kind of conversation, but I think, you know, we're so um, often mean to ourselves 
on a really like subconscious level and so just to bring it into consciousness and to and to offer some respect and some and some gratitude I think is really powerful um and then you know the kind of qigong or energy cultivation um, I practice yoga for this or, or walking again as I said is super powerful but I always use the analogy of the body being kind of like a glow stick, like you need to crack it a little bit to get it to light up, yeah, you know? Right. And I don't literally mean like crack it, yes, but yes. I mean like, you know, it needs to move for the electrons and all the kind of photochemicals in your body to start to kick in. And, mm. and every tradition, again, says movement is really important for healing. So you don't ever put a cast on a break in the ancient traditions because oh. it's, it's going to stagnate the energy and the healing energy won't be able to get there. Um, you would never put ice on a wound because it stagnates. and So, again, it creates contraction when you want openness and you want inflammation and you want your body mm. to, you know, the body does stuff on purpose. Like, it's intelligent. It doesn't swell up for you. to Like, you were talking about um, giving painkillers to a fever, you know, mm. and it's like, well, then the fever goes away. But the fever is actually a part of the healing process, you know. So, we again, it's like we often look at the symptom and try and suppress it instead of understanding why it's coming so when we look at things like energy cultivation, um, you know, that can be, I do things like, again, self-massage, um, so breast massage and, and um, jade eggs, which are kind of like a, a pelvic floor toning exercise for women. Men can do um, exercises with their testicles. They can do semen retention. There's all sorts of things men can do, but then just basic movements. Um, you know, all of us enjoy stretching, you know, anything that opens up the joints, uh, yoga, the really old school yoga is just all around just opening up the joints it's just a systematic opening of every joint in the body it's very slow it's very easy it's very gentle um and then you know ideally something that gets the heart rate going a little bit so that's why walking is so powerful and i think you know people underestimate walking one of the things i read before i was pregnant was that indigenous women walked five kilometers a day on average while they were pregnant and I said, okay, I'm going to walk five kilometers a day while I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to say it was that, but I had such a fucking easy pregnancy and birth. Mm. And I often think, you know, if I didn't do that, like, because it kept my pelvis open, it kept me kind of like quite strong. It kept my legs strong. Mm. So when I had to squat for like, you know, two hours to have my baby, I was okay. You know, I think it really helped to kind of keep my chi moving so that I was able to have a, you know, a reasonably easy kind of time. Yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously multiple factors, but, you know, I think we really underestimate. We used to have to walk for water. We used to have to walk for food. We used to have yeah. to walk, you know, even to the corner store to get milk, you know, and now it's like we get it delivered or, you know, we drive to the front door of the shop and we walk in and we drive out again, you know. So we hardly do anything for our, you know, food anymore. So, yeah, so I think just walk, that's a really good one. And then mindfulness, I mean, I personally practice meditation I think it takes a little while to learn how to get your mind to shut up <laughs> but, um, I think it's really good to start with something um, you know there's lots of apps these days that you can download for free and that teach you how to at least be still for a couple of minutes mm. and I would recommend you know two minutes a day is better than 20 minutes a day if you're going to do it you know mm. I don't care how long it is as long as you do something mm. um, I would highly recommend looking into yoga nidra um, in terms of a lead practice, you can get free apps again on your iPhone. You plug in your earphones, and it's basically like it's called yoga sleep. That's kind of what it translates to, mm -hmm. and it's this idea that you're in this liminal space between consciousness and sleep, and it's where we can kind of really capture that kind of uh, subtle energy that we've been talking about and and transform it and again alchemize it for kind mm -hmm. of self healing. So um, they say that three hours of 
sleep is equivalent to one hour of yoga nidra. So it's kind of like a, a I guess, a hack that the yogis came up with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Biohack. Um, but like, you know, when they couldn't sleep because they were doing intense meditations, because um, they would do a lot of crazy stuff. Mm. So they would use it as kind of like a buffer and to help their, their body. In. But it's also, it's used to kind of manifest. So if you're feeling like you need to, um, you know, bring something forth, it can be a way of kind of, reprogramming your subconscious so a lot of these things that's what is really interesting when you go beyond the thinking mind is there's different layers of this and in yoga it's called um sorry complicated yoga philosophy here we go (laughs) so yoga says that we have a personality that we identify with and that it's not really real it's just a construct it's been created by our culture by our families by our response to things And it says that when we start to meditate, we start to go beyond that. And in that process, lots of things will come up, which can be quite uncomfortable to deal with. They're called rittis, and they arise within our field of consciousness. And they can be just unpleasant memories. They can be emotions. They can be all sorts of stuff. And again, if we look at it through the lens of both Taoism and yoga, we can imagine that those things that we've been sort of repressing or trapping in our bodies are starting to emerge once they've got the space. So when we start to have these things coming out, that's what happens in meditation. So a lot of people sit still and they're like, oh my God, I'm going insane. I'm thinking about... I remember one time going to Vipassana and Alanis Morissette Jagged Little Pill played in my head for like three hours. And I was like, I'm here to meditate. Why am I, why am I listening to this? Yeah. But it's because my brain, for whatever reason, when given some space, decided that that was what it was going to throw at me. <laughs> that was my vritti of the day. You know, and, and then sometimes it's like really like intense stuff and other times it's like weird stuff. So that's part of it. You just go through that weird bit. So if you're meditating and weird shit's happening, that's just normal. And then as you start to learn to calm your mind and things, you, you, it's like going beneath the waves. I always talk about like you've got the surface of the ocean, it's really choppy, but you dive underneath and it's really quiet and yeah. it's really still. And it's like you still know there's stuff going on up there. You can kind of yeah. hear it and you can see it, but you're underneath it all. And that's what happens when you meditate. It, the thoughts keep flowing. They're coming, they're going, they're around. It's like the up there, but you're... You're in a different place. And that's when we kind of start to be in another realm, you know. And the yogis talk about physical astral causal and, you know, different states of meditation accessing different realms. So we're looking to kind of, you know, mindfulness is just like paying attention to the small things and being present for our lives and all of this stuff. And that's a really important place to start because there's so much in that, you know. It's it's such a rich place to explore. But when we really learn to meditate... And this is what the Taoists and the yogis were both pointing to, is we actually start to, um, we can reconnect our spirit to our, to our body. We can remember our spirit. And what most of us, this is, you know, in, again, the Bible, yoga, Taoism, we've forgotten ourselves. We've been born into this world and as we age, we forget. We forget that we were spirit once. We forget that we were, you know, not confined in a physical form. We forget and so this act of remembering is what these practices are about. And it's not about disassociating with the body. It's about reuniting these things. So this idea of union or oneness. And it's not oneness with spirit. It's, it's oneness with ourselves as spirit. So we're not leaving anywhere. We're not off the planet and in outer space or any of that stuff. And that, that can happen. You can go into outer space. But you'll come back. <laughs> um, and so this is where, you know, like we start with meditation as this idea of stealing our mind, but really the mind will the mind is a is a part of this life, you know, it's a part of being human and, and we don't want to shut it off, we don't want to turn it off, we just want to remember that we aren't it. 
So it's thinking right now, you know, I'm tiny, I'm on a podcast, I'm talking about this, and I identify with myself as someone who understands some of these principles around da 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 da. But I know that beneath that is I'm I'm not any of those things, you know. And if I try and identify myself with those things, I'm going to be very unhappy because mm. I can never be. I can never actually be those things because I'm not those things. They're just things, you know. So, and, you know, these are kind of complex spiritual ideas, but my experience with them has been that they, that poignancy I talked about right at the beginning when I was saying that bittersweet kind of appreciation of life where you start to realise that we're all in this journey together, that everybody is fucking forgetting why they're here all the time. You know, we're all kind of struggling along. and, And at the heart of it all, like, we're all these beautiful beings that are, like, on the same path it's just we're all at kind of different levels of it and I had a great teacher who used to describe it as you know climbing mountains and it's like I'm looking across at your mountain and you're like a little bit further up the side but your mountain's different to my mountain you know so what you need to get up your mountain is different to what I need to get up my mountain but you might have been like oh I just crossed a crevice before and I use this tool you know and so we can all share kind of ideas with each other but to try and like be on anyone else's mountain you're just going to slide back down to the bottom and have to start again, I think. But yeah. So. Oh, great. That's a great analogy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, great. And, you know, the, the, um, I talked to, to your partner, Mason, about that, you know, uh, pursuing the shiny objects. You know, it might be not your shiny object. It might be not what, what you actually really yearn for, but it's more like, well, then I can Instagram it. You know, if I do this thing, mm. I can Instagram it, and that looks really good. So I, I should do that when if you really stop. And think about like what do I feel like really doing, or what 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 is it that I yearn for? That might be quite a different story, and might be not Instagram worthy worthy in the same same way. Yeah, yeah exactly. And like, how many of us just identify with what we post or what yes. we share? Or That's powerful. you know, I mean, I know so many people I talk to that are like they're so different to. Yeah, I met this Instagram famous person. They're so different to what they share, and I'm like, how are we forgetting that this is a curated thing where people only pick the things that they want you to see, you know? Like, it's like going to dinner with a narcissist. It's like, it's not fun. You don't want to talk about someone's best version of themselves all night. You want a human connection, you know? And I want to know what upsets you or what, Mm. you know, keeps you up at night. I want to know the good and the bad. Like, that's what a friendship and a relationship is. I don't want to just be, you know, you think about raising a child, you just want them to be happy little, like, quiet, sunshine babies in the corner. Like, yes, obviously, that's nice when they're like that. But, (laughs) but, you know, I want to be there for all of it. I want to, you know, I want her to have a full human experience and to grow through all of these things and to become a strong woman. And she needs some of that fire and, you know, some strife to get there. And I think, you know, we've just become so sanitised from struggle you know people don't want things to be difficult they don't want to work for anything they don't want to you know they don't they want to get famous on instagram and get given stuff by companies and you know i've met people like more in la than here thank god (laughs) but that's literally their life goal you know i just want to become insta famous when did that become a thing (laughs) you know but it's a thing (laughs) so that's cool (laughs) yeah but i think you know my my perspective i suppose and i'm a big fan of seth godin and I know he's not really a yogi, but I feel like a lot of his work is very spiritual. It's around, you know, this idea of make better things to make things better. You know, like if you're going to do something with your life, do something useful. Like, and it might be just contribute to an awesome company or it might be, you know, make sure your family are fed every day. Like it doesn't have to be this grand thing. Like I don't care what your, what your purpose is. Like yoga talks about dharma and it's like a fisherman's dharma is to catch fish. You know, that's all it is. Like, and that's a spiritual path, you know, and do not discount that. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna's job is to kill his uncles and his cousins because they're representing the 
forces of the mind that are holding him back from his potential. You know, it's an allegory. It's not real, but it's this idea that you have to go in and actually, you know, this is a spiritual text telling you to go and kill things, you know, <laughs> like quite literally. And it's like, you know, these are things we have to, you know, remember that part of our, our growth process is like, you know, things get tough. We have to constantly keep showing up for the things we believe to be important. And, you know, we don't need to be perfect. We don't need to have this picture-perfect Instagram life. We just need to be, you know, really clear with ourselves about what we need and what's important and what's relevant. So, yeah, that's, I think, so much of what I've learned is, like, no one else is going to give it to me. I have to work it out for myself. <laughs> I can have friends and I can talk to people and I can pay people to listen to me and, yeah. you know, all of this stuff. And that's all been very helpful. I respect all of those things. But most of what I know has come through like me you know yeah. and it's just a it's just a it, yeah it's just a, a law that i've found to be true over and over again yeah you know? so great thanks for that that was fantastic <laughs> well okay. i think we actually have three questions that we finish off the podcast with. oh yeah 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 you can keep them short there are three i just um give the first two and there's a small distinction between it so one is what are your three favorite things that that you that gets you out of bed every morning mm -hmm. and then What's your thing at the moment that you really enjoy the most? So the first question would be just like, you know, what, what, what drives, like, what gives you joy to say, like, I want to actually get out of bed? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so getting out of bed is my daughter. She's really cute in the morning. <laughs> so I really like, you know, I spend mornings with her and my partner practices. So I really appreciate um, our time together. We kind of usually have something fun that we're doing at the morning. It's, at the moment, it's baking chocolate cakes. Fantastic. It's her birthday in a month. <laughs> She's milking it. Um, and then I really, I feel like I've always been motivated by trying to contribute in some way, like to make people's lives better and, and everyone's, like animals, you know, I just, I feel like we are responsible to some degree for the planet we live on and, mm. and the society we live in. So um, I think that's always motivated me. Um, and I, I really just like getting up. I can't think of a third one. I feel like getting out of bed is just a, a privilege you know like I yeah. have a body and a, and, a, and a mind and I'm able to use it and I have like this forum to express it like I, I feel very fortunate like you know I remember getting out of bed years ago and not feeling like that you know mm. <laughs> probably at least 10 15 years ago but you know it's like I feel really like willing and and, and capacitated at this point so mm. yeah so that's probably and you know in terms of what's really like lighting me up I think um you know I'm I'm always pretty inspired by like the people we connect with and, and how such simple concepts can have such a profound effect on people. Mm. Like I've, we've got a channel on Slack on our, in our company called awesome feedback and you know, everyone in our team, anytime they receive awesome feedback, they post mm. it on there and it's kind of like a, you know, just a, a great place to jump in and, and remember why you love doing what you do, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and with yoga as well, like I've been teaching again, like consistently I was teaching on teacher trainings and kind of dribs and drabs, but I've been doing a weekly class now for about two months and, you know, just watching people learn to relax and like, like a, this guy's like falling asleep and, you know, I'm like, that's such a privilege that someone yeah. is willing in an yeah. hour to fall asleep in front of you. Yeah. And like, I just, that to me is just so inspiring that someone who's a tradesman who spends all day in the sun flogging himself will come to a yoga class with a girl lie down on a squishy pillow and have a nap, you know, like I just, that just blows my mind. So, you know, I find those kinds of things really yeah. inspiring, like people's vulnerability and, and yeah, I think people inspire me, I suppose is probably the easiest way to do that. Yeah. And then I have a third question. Oh, okay. yep. Yeah, I'm ready. All Go. right. So, um, if you think about existence, 
Yeah. Why do you think that you exist and why human exists? Like, what's your sort of construct or, or knowledge that you have of why why we actually exist? Do you ask everyone this question? Yes, it's very interesting. That's a great question. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm a yogi, so I believe their lens or my lens, I suppose, um, only because I feel like I've verified it through my practice. So, the idea is um, there's there's a source of consciousness that I'm that I don't get, <laughs> uh -huh. but the human bit I get. So, we want to express or. <sighs> Why do we have a business, right? Because mm. we want to challenge ourselves and learn and grow, mm -hmm. right? So why have a human experience? Because consciousness wants to try something different. It mm -hmm. wants to have a play. Okay. I think of it as like Super Mario. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's tough. There's like some bosses that are really hard to beat. You know, you get to grow up a bit and shrink down a bit. And, you know, there's a whole thing going on. Like consciousness is playing with itself. You know, it's it's a, it's a game. It's it's a, you know, it's a it's a great cosmic game. And we are like waves in an ocean or you know like those cool metal things where you lift the magnet and all the little fingers come up oh, yes. <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know what they're called like on desks in offices all around the world um but you know this idea that if there's a flat surface and then we each arise as a wave you know that's yes. that's each individual human and we operate on a multi-dimensional level i i completely believe this and and what happens in the physical plane is that we're most able to um you know it's like imagining You know, you start business with little knowledge. As you live in the human form, you accumulate knowledge fastest. Because if you exist in an astral realm, in an energy realm, you're, you're formless. It's very difficult to kind of hold on to things. But if you're in this physical body and everything is kind of tangible and slower, it's like you can really condense and, and learn. And so I think we go through these cycles of human existence, and I believe we have many of them, in order that we can become... You know, we can experience ourselves as consciousness and remember ourselves and also expand consciousness because I believe we're all contributing to the pulse of the universe. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's that's part of where the energy of, of the universe generates from, I, I believe. Yes, yeah. So that's kind of a simple way of explaining a complex idea. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard this... Uh, actually, yeah, I heard that from, from Abraham, actually, um, that the definition of an eternity... Is expansion mm -hmm. and expansion can only happen if you actually interact as consciousness with yeah. things and try out new things in a sense right and expansion can only happen with some contraction right like i yeah. i mean my experience of my experience in meditation and on plant medicine so two different experiences was that there is this pulse that is like the heartbeat of of the universe mm -hmm. and that energy is constantly expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting. So it's not an infinite universe or a finite universe, it's both. It's, it's, it's coexisting as, as both. And we are similarly a part of that and we are simultaneously experiencing that, but we just don't know it because we're condensed yeah. and that's okay. Like you don't, you don't need to know that as a condensed form. You can get, you know, and that if we become aware of that, then we can use this life as, you know, because what happens as a human, if you can... I don't like the word progress, but it's the only word I can think of right now. If you can progress enough to become super conscious, mm. then you can heal other people. And, you know, so one of my teacher's teacher, he was a healer. He would, people would come to him and he would be able to travel into the spiritual realms and, and even into the causal realms, the realms of like the great God beings. And he'd be able to negotiate with them on different health matters and assist people and heal them in this physical realm. And he developed the consciousness to be able to do that, where he could do that in with control and without 
needing all of his jing. Because what happens when you do too much plant medicine or even too much kind of like really stimulating meditation is that if you don't have a reservoir of energy, that's why energy cultivation is so important in Taoism and yoga. If you don't have a strong reservoir of energy and you try and shoot yourself out into the space, yeah. you know, you need a lot of energy to come back, right? Yes. To go to the moon, you need to have just as much fuel to come home. Huh. Actually more, because you kind of got to push through yes. the atmosphere and everything, right? right? So it's kind of the same with us. If we're going to keep shooting it, and you've met spiritual people, right, that are total loonies after 20 or 30 years mm. because they've lost their capacity to keep coming back and grounding yeah. back and returning. And so we, we run out of energy. And so this is why the herbs and all of these factors are so important, diet, everything, community. It's like these things that ground us, that help us build energy, strengthen our energy, and then we practice these higher realms of, of consciousness. So I think, you know, my, my visceral experience is is of duality, is of yin and yang, is of, you know, black and white, of the pulse, the contraction, the expansion. It's not just one or the other. And I, I think that's that, to me, is the closest I've come to any kind of understanding of what's going on. Awesome. Yes, <laughs> great answer. Um, fantastic. I, I look forward to this uh, second set of questions, <laughs> which I have. I have three more uh, when you, if we come back. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a carrot that you dangled. Yeah, that's Ooh, right. la la. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. My that was pleasure. awesome. I had so many other things that I wanted to ask you, but um, that was so dense and amazing to actually get okay. the, the, really the download on um, a great framework that you know really help, can pay, help people to figure out more and, and go onto a path of, yeah, I guess you know becoming more um, sovereign towards their health and you know feeling comfortable to actually taking taking charge of their health because as you said you know it's probably the only way we can do it really yeah yeah i think it all starts at home and then we can offer our services to others so yeah Love hopefully it. there's some offerings there for others yeah lots thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for coming my pleasure thank awesome. you lots of love thanks Sebastian. <laughs> guys thank you so much for listening to the sauna show my name is sebastian miro and this episode was sponsored by clear jacuzzi saunas the world's leading provider of superior quality, full-spectrum infrared saunas. You can find more information and resources for this podcast at thesaunashow.com, all one word, or on Instagram at thesaunashow. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with friends. Until next time, have the best day ever. <laughs>